One of my favorite fairly new traditions that my husband and I have started is to watch The Passion of the Christ on Good Friday. We actually stole this from Fred and his wife, but they Mm. do it on Holy Thursday. But we have been doing this for about three years now. And one thing that I have noticed is that the movie never gets old. You know, it's never it's never seemed repetitive. I always cry at the scourging, no matter what. And something new always catches my eye every year. And I was thinking about this because we're in Holy Week and we're about to start the Triduum. And I was thinking about watching this movie on Friday. And I started getting really, really excited. And I just wanted it to be Good Friday already because I wanted to watch this movie. I think this was so this was so impactful for me to just like feel this excitement to want to watch the movie because it pointed out something that the story of Christ, the story of our salvation is never boring and it's never going to be repetitive. It's always going to draw us in and and leave us in awe or in tears, you know, as is my case. Because The reality of what Christ did for us is so impactful no matter how many times we hear it. There's always going to be something in the story of salvation that draws us in over and over and over. So today, Fred and I want to share this message of Christ with all of our listeners. And maybe you're listening and you've never had an encounter with the love of God. You know, maybe you are faithful and devout in your practice of your Catholic faith, but there's still the room in your heart to extend your faith to a personal relationship with Christ, a personal friendship with Christ, because that's what he seeks from all of us. Or maybe you're listening and your heart burns every single day for your friend and Savior. Wherever you are, we should always seek to encounter Christ daily and be open to letting him encounter us. Because it's these encounters with Christ that deepen our love for him and prepare us for the life in heaven. So we want to share this simple message of God's love in a way that hopefully draws you in a little deeper into the realities that we remember and we celebrate during Holy Week. Amen. Kara, I love that you uh, stole that tradition from us because that's... We love it too. Yeah. That's uh, every Holy Thursday in our house has been lots of crying. Um, yeah. And, you know, I remember when The Passion of the Christ uh, first came out. Uh, I want to say it was right after high school. I went to see it with my brother. And um, and I, I it was a profound experience for me, even though I didn't really know much about the faith. Mm-hmm. I ended up taking my parents the following week and kind of had that same experience all over again. You little evangelist, you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, the funny thing is, I think this message of God, God's love for us, the me- the gospel message itself, we take it for granted in a lot of ways. You know, we've all heard God is love, God loves you. And I think in some ways we get so used to hearing those things and even saying those things yeah. that sometimes in our own lives we, we take for granted what that means. And and I can see that because it wasn't too long after the, the experience I had and, and going to the, see the movie that I ended up falling back right. into my old ways. And I think the reason that is is because as Pope Francis reminds us, we should every day be proclaiming this gospel and, and seeking to encounter Christ and his great love for us every single day in new and different ways. So the gospel is always fresh. It's always good news. It's always living and active. And it, it never is a bad thing to go back to the beginning. And, and what's the s- central truth of our faith? 
And that is how much God loves us. Yeah, I think you're right, Fred. It absolutely is super easy to hear those words or know it intellectually, but I think it's a different thing to know it in a way that then changes your life. And even for someone who has had that encounter with the love of God, even for someone who feels that they are in friendship with God, it's super easy to take for granted. Mm -hmm. Yeah, God loves me. I know he loves me. And I was just thinking about this the other day too, where in prepping for this episode, I was thinking about, okay, what was a transformative time in my life where I felt like I was in friendship with God. And my mind immediately wants to jump back like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, when I had my first initial encounter. But the one that actually stood out to me was a few weeks ago, and I was just hanging out at church, and I was leaving, and I had my back towards the tabernacle, my back towards the crucifix, and I just heard somebody say, turn around. There was no one in the church, and so I turn around and I look at the cross and I look at the crucifix and all I hear is for you that's all I hear and so it's like this prompting to Kara just stop for a second and look at me and all I hear is this is for you and so it's so easy to be like oh yeah 10 years ago I had an encounter God's my friend I know he loves me but to have that happen just every single day or have that happen in moments where you you do feel close to God but to have that reminder that he sacrificed for you individually is so powerful. Yeah. And again, that's that's why we're reminded to to seek that encounter with the Lord every day or at least be open to letting him encounter us because you know that love is so great. It's a love that transforms. It's a love that transcends. It's a love that perfects. It's mm-hmm. not a love that ebbs and flows. And maybe this is part of the reason where why I should say we take this for granted perhaps. I think depending on maybe the circumstances of our daily life or how good we're think, we think we're living up to that standard or um, how worthy we are. I, I think it's important that we remember there's nothing we can do to make God stop loving us. Yeah. Um, none of us are that powerful. None of us mm-hmm. are more powerful than the God who is love. Mm-hmm. You know, And I think at, at the outset, I think we do have to emphasize a couple things here. One, that we're talking about an encounter with the love of God that's not just a one-time thing. It's a lifelong thing. But we do have those moments that stand out to us, certainly. But I think at the outset here, and the Passion of the Christ starts with these words. Um, it's the Gospel of John. And we have to remind ourselves of that because those words echo through the ages. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him might not perish, but might have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And the Apostle Paul reminds us again, God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I think it's so fitting to talk about the love of God during Holy Week because we are about to enter into all of these masses where we get to walk through the scripture passages of Christ's passion, death, and resurrection. And this is the culmination of salvation history. This is what in Genesis after the fall of Adam and Eve, this is what God promised, that Satan would be crushed. And he's crushed by Jesus, by his life, and in the story that we hear uh, during Holy Week. And the first scene in the Passion of Christ that it begins with is the agony in the garden. 
And this is really the first passage in Scripture and the, and the one we're going to start with with Holy Week that moves into Christ's passion, that leads to his capture and his scourging and carrying of the cross and ultimately his, his crucifixion that gives us the resurrection and leads to our salvation. In the agony in the garden, this is such a, a powerful scriptural passage. It's such a powerful image to reflect on that Jesus comes to his father and he knows what's about to happen. And he's really struggling with it in his humanity because he knows the pain that he is going to have to endure. And he comes to his father and says, if you are willing, let this cut pass for me. But still, he is willing to do what God calls him to. And you know, Judas betrays him and somebody comes and captures him. And so it's pretty clear what God's will is. He, he wants him to go through with this. But one scripture passage that stands out to me in, in terms of the agony in the garden is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. And it says that Jesus bore our sins in his body. He bore our sins in his body. And I think this is really the start of that, is that in the agony, Jesus is, is taking our sins upon himself. And we see this in, in how much stress his body is under and that he starts sweating blood, right? He starts sweating blood and he's taking our sins upon himself. But the beautiful thing is, and this is in a book that Fred and I both really like, and I know we've referenced it before. Um, it's called I Believe in Love. The beautiful thing here is, God takes our sins upon himself so that we can take his blood upon ourselves. I'm going to say that again. God takes our sins upon himself so we may take his blood upon ourselves. Because in taking our sins and in dying on the cross for us, we have the hope that one day we could go to heaven and, and stand before God the Father with Christ's blood upon ourselves. Not a stain of sin, but the blood of the Son of God so that we could appear to the Father as adopted sons and daughters of God in heaven. He takes our sins so that we may take his blood. It's such a beautiful thing. But Fred, could you kind of um, explain why does he even need to do this? Why does he need to take our sins? Yeah, Kara, Isaiah 53 is coming to mind as well, um, which is also in the Passion of the Christ at the beginning there. But surely he has borne our griefs, and by his stripes we are healed. And of course the stripes are a reference to the scourging, which we'll talk about in a moment. But the long and short of it is, it really comes down to this saying. It's an early church saint. I believe it's St. Anselm. It says, God paid a debt he didn't owe because we owed a debt we couldn't pay. Um, and, and the reality there is that, you know, originally in God's plan, we were created freely out of his love with the purpose of, of being in communion and intimacy and relationship with him. But we chose against God. We, we, God wanted us to be able to freely love him, to choose to love him, to choose to prefer him above all things. But as, James, uh, as John Paul II says, the greatest deception and the deepest source of unhappiness is the illusion of finding life by excluding God, of finding freedom by excluding moral truths and personal responsibility. And, and that was the choice of our first parents. They... They thought that they knew better than God, and in that they became enslaved to sin and death. And sin and death, and you know, we to to finite beings sinning against an infinite God is an infinite debt that we cannot pay because we are finite beings. So God sees that He sees uh, that need that the need for reconciliation, 
And I love to, uh, from this book, I Believe in Love by Father de Albe, he says, God is so truly love itself that even before promulgating the punishment, he announced the woman and her son victors over the serpent. And of course, that's a reference to Genesis 3.15, which mm-hmm. is the first gospel. Yeah. So it, what's interesting there is rather than immediately you know, announcing the punishment or, or condemnation, if you will, for, for Adam and Eve, and even the consequences for the serpent, first, he proclaims the love of God, that there will be a Savior who mm-hmm. will set this right. And of course, he is referring to Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ will pay that debt. Um, and this is, you know, why we talk about um, St. Irenaeus, for example, said that the full of Christ's life was redemptive. So he was a child, so that childhood would re- be redeemed. Um, mm-hmm. I guess you could say he was a teenager, so that uh, <laughs> teenage, being a teenager would be redeemed. Amen for that. And that's where that idea comes from, that the whole of Christ's life was redemptive, but in particular, his passion, death, uh, resurrection, ascension, which, of course, we're we're talking especially about his passion and death right now. Yeah, so that's when we say, too, that everything that we believe, and especially as we're talking today, the story of our salvation, it culminates in Christ because that was always God's plan was to send us the Savior, Jesus Christ. And God provides us with this sacrificial lamb. I love this. This this is something that stood out to me one time in Mass where I had... You know how sometimes you just kind of are going through the motions and a lot of times you don't really hear and register the things that are being said? The first time ever that I registered something that that was that was being said that really impacted me was when um, the priest held up the Eucharist and said, Behold the Lamb of God. And I was like, oh my goodness, lambs are sacrificed and, and they come and they're supposed to be unblemished and they're supposed to save us from our sins. And, and I was like, wait, Jesus was sent by the Father knowing that he was going to die because he was sent as a sacrificial lamb. And this was seriously like a transformative moment in the way that I experienced Mass. But now going back and reading things from the Old Testament, you see this in Abraham when he's told to go and sacrifice his son Isaac. And then at the last moment, God says, no, don't do this, you know. And then and he says, I will provide the lamb. He doesn't in that moment. He provides a ram, not the same thing. The lamb that he's going to provide is Jesus, the unblemished lamb that will be sacrificed upon the cross. And so when we talk about the story of our salvation, for all of time, God has promised us a Savior, and that is Jesus Christ. And God wants us to know of his sacrifice. He wants us to know that it was for the sake of his love. But one thing I think in these scripture passages leading to his crucifixion that I really see, I shouldn't say in the scripture passages, because in the scriptures, all it says is, and he was scourged and handed over to be crucified. So we don't get a whole lot about his scourging. So I should say one thing that I see in the movie, The Passion of the Christ, is that there are so many people present at his scourging who do not see this, who do not see the loving sacrifice that is taking place and who do not recognize him as a savior as he's covered in blood. Yeah, Kara, I think you're exactly right. And there's a lot of good reflections out there on the scourging at the pillar that come to mind. St. Jose Maria Escriva, I think we've I've mentioned probably on half of the episodes we've done Mm -hmm. because I love it so much. 
But uh, when we look at what the church teaches on who is responsible for Christ's wounds, for the, the scourging, his crucifixion, it's all of us. It's, it's our sin. Mm-hmm. And so I remember very early on in, in my initial conversion and coming to faith in Christ, I remember reflecting on that very thing and, and thinking about how, in a very real way, I'm one of those people that is scourging Christ in my sin. And so I know when I when I pray the sorrowful mysteries, and for those of you that aren't familiar, that that's exactly what we're talking about. The sorrowful mysteries of the Rosary are those key moments in the Passion of the Christ movie. It's the agony in the garden, it's the scourging at the pillar, it's the crowning with thorns, it's the carrying of the cross, and it's the crucifixion. And I find that oftentimes my meditation on the Rosary, on the sorrowful mysteries, are in some ways placing myself in the scenes of that film and reflecting on them. So, you know, sometimes, oftentimes, probably more uh, than not, I'm one of the people scourging Christ because my sin, that's the reality of my sin. That's the ugliness of my sin. You know, and I may want to picture myself as there's this beautiful scene where uh, Mary Magdalene and the Blessed Mother are cleaning up the blood. And I would like to think that that's me. You know, and, and I think that's a beautiful scene. And I think I aspire to that, but more oftentimes than not, because I have such a long way to go in my walk with the Lord. More often than not, I am the one holding the, the whip, holding the, you know, all those devices that are causing Jesus so much pain. Mm-hmm. But I, I think you bring up a really good point here, Kara, in, in going this direction, and that is one of the reasons God became man was to demonstrate his great love for us. Yeah. And I think, like, if we watch The Passion of the Christ, besides the obvious, in the crucifixion, I don't think any scene in that movie demonstrates it more to me than the scourging. It's just, mm-hmm. it's brutal. It's brutal. And to see how much he loves us and how much he continues to withstand and demonstrate his love in the face of, in reality, us scourging him. Right. That's just, it's, it's overwhelming that God would love us so much. Unworthiness being clear. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And yet he forgives them and he continues to show his love in, the, in that moment. What I, what I love is that you draw it back to the love of Christ, Fred. Mm-hmm. Because it's not just something that You know, Jesus in that moment when he was being scourged, he knew all of the sins that would happen. And so he loves us. It's the sins that were also happening then in that moment to him. The guard who was actually present, who was actually responsible firsthand for scourging him. He was loving him in that moment. And we see in the scene, you know, he's like looking to his mother and he's looking to, you know, his apostles. But when I'm reflecting on that, if I'm the one who's scourging him, He's looking at me, but he's not looking at me with hatred. He's looking at me with love because even though in our sins, we're the ones who hurt him, he's saying to us, I will do this. I'm going to withstand this pain. When, when you turn your hand and you're hurting me, I'm going to withstand it because all the more precious will my mercy be for you when you are the one who's hurting me and I will forgive you. All the greater will your conversion be towards me because I do this for your salvation. Yeah. At every moment, he's saying, 
I love you this much. Exactly. And then Jesus is crowned with thorns. And I think there's irony there, too, because he actually is the king of the universe and they're placing a crown on him in a mocking way. But he's enduring that for you and for your salvation. But one thing that stands out to me, actually, is the carrying of the cross. And I know I've mentioned this, that I absolutely love Simon of Cyrene. I could do a whole episode just about him. But in carrying the cross of Christ. Actually, Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, depicts Simon carrying the entire weight, um, but the other Gospels uh, kind of depict them sharing the load. But I really love this imagery of carrying the cross because I think so many of us, we have these crosses that we're bearing. And there's something that really stands in our way of accepting the love of Christ. There's something that stands in the way. And those are our crosses. And for me, that cross is past sins. Kara, I'm reminded of the words of John Paul II again. You're not the sum of your weakness and failures. You're the sum of the Father's love for you. Yeah. And despite what you've d- done, whatever's going on in your life right now, if there's anything this time of year rem- reminds us of, it is how much God loves you and what price he's willing to pay for you to experience that love and be able to walk in that love and, and partake of that love. Care uh, if you don't mind, I want to read just a little section from this book. It's called I Believe in Love. Again, we've mentioned it many times. Love it. But I, I think this is, uh, it's just beautiful. And I think there's probably many of you listening that, that need to hear this because To be honest with you, I need to hear this every day, every day, (laughs) like all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's this. He says, I should like to ask you urgently from now on that you never let your past sins be an obstacle between you and Jesus. It is a ruse of the devil to keep putting our sins before our eyes in order to make them like a screen between the Savior and us. Think of your past sins for your own humiliation or to persuade yourself once again of your weakness, of your unworthiness. Think of them in order to find happiness in expiation, in order to confirm your firm resolution not to fall again, but especially in order to bless Jesus for having pardoned you, for having purified you, for having cast all of your sins to the bottom of the sea. And this is the key thing here. He says, do not go looking for them at the bottom of the sea. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful, care. Yeah, that is beautiful. I think of Second Corinthians um, chapter 12, where it says, my power is perfected in weakness. And so rather than seeing the ways that we fall and the ways we're not, we, we think we're not good enough, that's where God shines if we let him you know he christ says he did not come for the righteous he's our divine physician he came for the sick he came to call sinners to repentance so no one no past sin should separate us from god but at the same time even though our sin doesn't leave us without a savior it does separate us from god and we we see this actually in scripture where um 
in Adam and Eve in Genesis where they sin against God and they're cast out of the garden. We see this in Matthew 25 where um, Jesus says he will separate the sheep from the goats. And Jesus said, says, many will say, Lord, Lord, and I'll say, I never knew you. So sin is choosing something that is not good. And since God is all good and we are choosing something not good, we're not choosing God. And so sin is separated, separating us from God. And so we need to be un- reunited to him. And so something that I like, y'all know I'm a visual person. I have mentioned this many times. One thing that I like to reflect with is this imagery of God standing in front of me, but in front of me is this giant cliff and I can't get to him. But he's standing there looking at me with his arms open and he just wants me to run to him and give him a hug and accept him and love him and choose him and not sin. But I can't get to him and I want to get to him. And that brings us to the crucifixion because Jesus upon the cross is that bridge that when I accept Jesus, he is my savior. I can walk across the cross across that cliff and I can run into the arms of God. So sin does separate us from God, but because Jesus took our sins upon himself, he saves us. Then we repent and we turn back to God and we we welcome our savior and we run into the arms of God. Kara, I think this is where we come to that point where we recognize that um, if we've been loved so greatly, it requires something of us in return. It requires an act of love on our part. It requires that we repent, that we make the decision to love him in return, to follow him. He spared no expense for the sake of our salvation. So we in turn should love him with that same radicalness, that same kind of love. And thanks be to God that the Lord has has given us the sacraments in the church to help us partake of his of his grace because even when we make that decision to follow the Lord even when we give him our life we're still going to stumble along the way yeah we're still going to we're still going to falter we're still going to fail at times but the saint is the person that gets back up and keeps trying right mm-hmm. and thanks be to God that we, that we have the grace of the sacraments especially the sacrament of confession that help us to continue to walk in that forgiveness that Christ has made available to us. And of course, quite literally, when we celebrate the Eucharist, Christ's sacrifice on the cross, the grace that's available through that sacrifice is right there present in the celebration of the Eucharist. Right. So when we, when we love, like we want to know a person, right? We want to be with that person all the time. We kind of, we see this in marriage, you know, we start living together in the sacrament of marriage. We become one. Well, God loved us so deeply that not only did he send us his son, the scripture passage where it says, God humbled himself and took the form of a slave. So Jesus is present with us, but he loves us so deeply that he wants to continue to be present with us. So not only did he humble himself taking the form of a slave, he humbles himself every single day, every single hour and takes the form of bread because he loves you. And how do we know that that's because he loves you? Because not only does he want to be united to you, he wants to be one with you. Because that's what happens in the grace of of the Eucharist. When we receive the Eucharist, Christ is the head and we become his body. We're not only united 
to God. We become one with Christ. And that's what he intended. So the Eucharist is that continued bridge. It's how we continue to experience the love of God and continue to be united to him. Jesus came and he, he said to St. Margaret Mary, he said, Here is the heart which loved so much that it spared nothing to the point of being emptied and consumed to give proof of that love. He empties himself on the cross and he gives himself to be consumed in a palatable way in the Eucharist because he loves us so deeply. But then he goes even further to St. Margaret Mary saying he wants to give us even more. He wants to give us his heart, which is the source of this love. But like Fred said, it requires a response. Love for love. He gives us love so that we may love freely. This is what his words on the cross mean when he says, I thirst. When he says, I thirst, yeah, a lot of times we're, we think, okay, well, they just bring him a sponge with vinegar, so he's just thirsty physically. When he says, I thirst upon the cross, he is thirsting for you. He is thirsting for a love freely given. So we have to acknowledge his love with a response of our own. And that response is free love to him. And so we want to give you an opportunity to reflect on this love and to reflect on Christ's words on the cross, I thirst. And in doing this, we want to read through a very beautiful reflection that St. Teresa of Calcutta wrote, and it's called I Thirst. So as we begin this reflection, I really want to invite you to maybe step back from what's going on around you. Um, if, if you're driving or running or on your way to work or whatnot, you maybe even want to come back and revisit this later uh, or perhaps listen through to it and then come back again intentionally. But I think it's important that as we begin this reflection that you do take some time to turn off everything around you and, and kind of disconnect and really engage in, the, in this reflection. So I want to invite you now, if you will, to close your eyes and picture yourself alone in the room. You're sitting in a chair and right across from you is another chair, but it's empty at the moment. And suddenly you, you, you hear footsteps. You can tell someone is coming closer and you realize that person is Jesus and he sits down in that chair directly in front of you. He reaches out and grabs your hand and he looks you in the eye with a look of great love and he begins to speak and he says, it is true. I stand at the door of your heart day and night, even when you are not listening even when you doubt it could be me, I am there. I await even the smallest sign of your response, even the least whispered invitation that will allow me to enter. And I want you to know that whenever you invite me, I do come, always, without fail, silent and unseen, I come but with infinite power and love, bringing the many gifts of my spirit. I come with my mercy, with my desire to forgive and heal you, and with a love for you beyond your comprehension, a love every bit as the great love I have received from the Father. As the Father has loved me, 
I have loved you. I come longing to console you and give you strength, to lift you up and bind all your wounds. I bring you my light to dispel your darkness and all your doubts. I come with my power that I might carry you in all your burdens, with my grace to touch your heart and transform your life, and my peace I give to still your soul. I know you through and through. I know everything about you. The very hairs of your head I have numbered. Nothing in your life is unimportant to me. I have followed you through the years, and I have always loved you, even in your wanderings. I know every one of your problems. I know your needs and your worries. And yes, I know all your sins. But I tell you again that I love you not for what you have or haven't done. I love you for you, for the beauty and dignity my Father gave you by creating you in his own image. It is a dignity you have often forgotten, a beauty you have tarnished by sin. But I love you as you are, and I have shed my blood to win you back. If you only ask me with faith, my grace will touch all that needs changing in your life, and I will give you the strength to free yourself from sin and all its destructive power. I know what is in your heart. I know your loneliness and all your hurts, the rejections, the judgments, the humiliations. I carried it all before you, and I carried it all for you, so that you might share my strength and victory. I know especially your need for love, how you are thirsting to be loved and cherished, but how often have you thirsted in vain by seeking that love selfishly, striving to fill the emptiness inside you with passing pleasure, with the even greater emptiness of sin. Do you thirst for love? Come to me, all who thirst. I will satisfy you and fill you. Do you thirst to be cherished? I cherish you more than you can imagine, to the point of dying on a cross for you. I thirst for you. Yes, that is the only way to even begin to describe my love for you. I thirst for you. I thirst to love you and to be loved by you. That is how precious you are to me. I thirst for you. Come to me and I will fill your heart and heal your wounds. I will make you a new creation and give you peace, even in all your trials. I thirst for you. You must never doubt my mercy, my acceptance of you, my desire to forgive, my longing to bless you and live my life in you. I thirst for you. If you feel unimportant in the eyes of the world, that matters not at all. For me, there is no one any more important in the entire world than you. I thirst for you. Open to me. Come to me. Thirst for me. Give me your life and I will prove to you how important you are to my heart. Don't you realize that my Father already has a perfect plan to transform your life beginning from this moment? Trust in me. Ask me every day 
to enter and take charge of your life, and I will. I promise you before my Father in heaven that I will work miracles in your life. Why would I do this? Because I thirst for you. All I ask is that you entrust yourself to me completely, and I will do the rest. Even now, behold the place my Father has prepared for you in my kingdom. Remember that you are a pilgrim in this life on a journey home. Sin can never satisfy you or bring you the peace you seek. All that you have sought outside of me has only left you more empty, so do not cling to the things of this life. Above all, do not run from me when you fall. Come to me without delay. When you give me your sins, you give me the joy of being your Savior. There is nothing I cannot forgive and heal. So come now and unburden your soul. No matter how far you may wander, no matter how often you forget me, no matter how many crosses you may bear in this life, there is one thing I want you to always remember, one thing that will never change. I thirst for you, just as you are. You don't need to change to believe in my love, for it will be your belief in my love that will change you. You forget me, and yet I am seeking you every moment of the day, standing at the door of your heart and knocking. Do you find this hard to believe? Then look at the cross. Look at my heart that was pierced for you. Have you not understood my cross? Then listen again to the words I spoke there, for they tell you clearly why I endured all this for you. I thirst. Yes, I thirst for you, as the rest of the psalm verse I was praying says of me, I looked for love and I found none. All your life I have been looking for your love. I have never stopped seeking to love you and be loved by you. You have tried many other things in your search for happiness. Why not try opening your heart to me, right now, more than you ever have before? Whenever you do open the door of your heart, whenever you come close enough, you will hear me say to you again and again, not in mere human words, but in spirit, no matter what you have done, I love you for your own sake. Come to me with your misery and your sins, with your troubles and needs, and with all your longing to be loved. I stand at the door of your heart and knock. Open to me, for I thirst for you. Again, I want to invite you to take a moment to reflect on those words and really reflect on this time of year, what we celebrate in this Holy Week, Christ's gift of himself in his passion, death, resurrection. We celebrate here coming up on Easter. But maybe take some time to really reflect on just how radical the love of God is for each one of us, including you who are listening. It's in him we live and move and have our being. As scripture tells us, the very fact that we exist is is proof of God's love for us. So if you're listening to this, it's because God loves you. So take a moment to thank him and reflect on that great love for you also want to invite you to pray this prayer in the talk notes for this episode as we close out this week. 
In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Lord God, you who provide the fire for a transformed life, I come before you this day and beg for the fire of your love and mercy to forgive my sins and free me from my self-imposed bondages. I pray for the fire of your Spirit to lead me in repentance and conversion so I may be faithful in following you. I pray for the fire of your love to ignite my heart with love for my brothers and sisters and lead me to intercede in faith for them. I pray for the fire of faith to be committed to you and your teaching as a servant to his master. I pray for the fire of your desire to save all mankind, to inflame me so that I can witness to the good news of Jesus Christ and be a channel for the salvation of mankind. Lord, I want to burn for you before all peoples. Jesus, meek and humble of heart, make my heart like unto thine. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.